You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.net. Hey, I'm Johnny. I use he, him pronouns. We're going to begin before... I hope I, I'm going to offer you a message that I hope encourages you, but before that, we'll start with some scripture reading. We'll need one volunteer today to read the text. Brian, will you get it up, please? On Zoom or in the room. When they had brought them, they had them stand before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you are determined to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. Oh, my bad, Julius. (laughs) God exalted him at his right hand as a leader and savior, that he might give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. So is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Thank you, Julius. Let's pray before we keep going. Lord, let the words of our mouths and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It's the second Sunday of Easter, so let's keep saying it. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's keep greeting each other in this season with that, uh, with that um, declaration. Before I get to the material of the, of the, of the, of the, of the talk, I want to I, I share a little video with you. That my, it's, it was on TikTok, and I found it on Twitter. That's how I see most of my TikTok things. Um, so, Brian, can you show him this video? This happened on an airline. Um, let's hear him. Let's hear what he has to say. Hold on. Start it over. Start it over. I'm this guy. Okay, so has anyone been on a flight where something like that has happened? What would you do if that was going on on your flight? Let's get some, let's get some talk back right now. Let's get some reactions. Julius, what do you want to say? What would, you, what would happen to you? Would you get on the drum or no? No. Why not? Absolutely talk? not. Because that, that ain't what we're there for. If okay. I wanted to go listen to music, I would have went to a place where you, an airplane okay, okay. is not where I go to listen to music. Very good. And any other reactions? You'll have a chance to react in a moment more. I just want to get any initial ones. All right, Bender. My reaction would be that I would try to make myself as small as possible and unable to hear as possible. So headphones, neck pillow, down in my seat. Tighten the hood Don't on your hoodie. Don't make eye contact. Yeah. Anyone else want to react? We're going to get to this. We're going to get to this a little bit more so you'll have a chance to. It's very interesting sociologically. 
I told the, uh, I told my friends in the group chat I'd be praying for hijackers at that moment for, on the flight, you know what I mean? Hoping that they liberate me from this misery. Um, it's a little, I can make that joke because I'm a, Egyptian. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend anybody else trying that one, okay? Like that's a family joke, you know what I mean? Don't make that joke, otherwise or else you're a racist. But, you know, I told other people, you know, Jesus would tell them, don't make a public spectacle of your worship. Like Matthew 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 7 through 8, he says that, right? Paul would tell them to have order in their worship. Because I think it's bad for Christianity, for Christians to be this self-centered and inhospitable, right? Like that dude who was there just not having it, right? Like what's, he, what's, what's, what's happening with him? You know, that's annoying, right? And like it is cringe. It's, cring, it's cringy, right? On its, on its face. It feels, at least to me, it feels a little cringy. And I'm not, I'm, I'm all for, I'm, I'm, I'm pro-cringe, as many of you know. As far as cringeworthy content goes, Andrew Yang will tell you, you know, I arrange the meeting, I arrange the menu, the venue, the seating, right? I, I like I like corny things, you know, that's, I like to live in that space, you know, I'm a father of a six and a nine-year-old, cringe comes with the territory, but worshiping in the air is a new level for me, but what's, what's so embarrassing about it, why is this so weird, you know, I'm, I'm wondering, because I have the same reaction that a lot of you did, you know, I, I reflected on that question as I was reading the passage from Acts, on the second Sunday of Easter because the disciples here are they're imprisoned, they break out of prison and they end up preaching in the temple. They suffer persecution, they get out of jail and then they violate the orders of the high priest. They get strict orders not to teach in Jesus' name and they violate that teaching and they filled all of Jerusalem with their teaching and maybe the high priests and, then, and, and they even shared the story of the high priests being guilty of killing Jesus. The high priest says, you've, you've defamed us too. You've spread the name of Jesus and you've said we've killed him. And Peter, Peter responds like he had to. Paul would, but the apostle Paul would eventually say, the love of Christ constrains him, compels him to preach. Peter does the same thing. Like Jesus on Palm Sunday, just a few weeks ago, if the disciples stay quiet, the stones will cry out. They're compelled to preach. They have to tell the word. They follow the authority of God and not any human authority. They're very serious when they say Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord is not just a profession of faith, right? It is a politically, it is a determinative political statement. It's talking about who I bow to. So if another political authority, whether it's the high priest or whomever, tells me not to preach, that's not who I bow to. I still do it anyway. I can't listen to you. Your strict order doesn't matter to me. I'm still going to do it. So for these, doing these things, the disciples were persecuted. They broke out of jail. They continued to do so. They had nerve. They had eagerness. They had drive to make it happen. And I'm inspired in the story from Acts 5 by their defiance. I'm inspired by, their, by the, how they made their faith a public spectacle. I'm inspired by their rebellion. So why am I inspired by the disciples in Acts 5 but I'm embarrassed by the cringe singers on the flight. 
Maybe you feel differently. Maybe you think they're both cringy or both totally radical. What's the difference? What do you think about that? Do you want to think about that a little bit now or do you want to hold on to that thought? I have an, explana- I have a, I have an idea that I'll share, but do you have any reactions right now? What's the difference between name above all names, 30,000 feet in the air, versus the disciples breaking out of prison and defying the high priest? Do these two images make sense? And why we would, uh, Bryant? And on Zoom, you can talk too. Just speak, just talk. Well, I was going to say two big things. One is um, power, and I think the other is the, is the message, like the, what the gospel is. Um, we don't necessarily know the words P- Peter was preaching. Um, we know what this says. Um, and I think that looks a lot different when you're someone being persecuted by people with a lot of political power. Okay. Um, that's a big part of it, yeah. Any more? Any other reactions? I like Brian's take. Any more? Megan? Uh, Yeah, I think you have like a disempowered group of people like resisting authority versus just a group of kids who like really want to sing on this flight. Um, I was thinking that the like this passage what they're doing is closer to like the man who lit himself on fire on the Capitol steps than it is to the kids doing worship music in the air. Like, so this is closer to self-immolation than the other one? I don't know. That's why I didn't raise my... It's like a weird thing to say. You can say but, that. I think that's fine. Um, there's like an element of like personal like risk and sacrifice in order to like speak truth to power versus just subjecting other people to... Um, like your religion when you're like already the dominant religion in this culture and like mm-hmm. no one can get away from it and you're not actually offering anyone anything that's like liberative or radical. Very good. I, I agree with that. Anyone else want to say anything? Any defend? Is it, does anyone think what they did on the flight was good or cool? Sorry. I mean, Laurel, you want, you want to get in there? You can say that. Hi, um, for clarity. For clarity. For clarity. I am attracted to good energy and vibes. So if I was sitting on the plane and someone like made a spectacle, I would be more inclined to be engaged just to understand what's happening. Okay, okay. They seem to be happy, and that was my first reaction, actually. However... It's all about the message and how you're communicating that. And the unfortunate thing that happened on the plane is you are forcing people and you're not giving an escape to... There's no escape on the plane, you know what I mean? So uh, to answer your second part, that there, the difference between this is that like you, when you are trying to be a, an advocate in a, for the message... You have to craft your message. You have to oh, yeah. craft totally. what you're saying mm-hmm. to your audience. And a song on a plane was not the best method. 
I think they would have heard you say that, Laurel. Very well said. I appreciate that. Oh, yeah, Pete. And then and someone on Zoom wants to get in on the action? So, wait, they're, they're actual kids, like teenagers. Are they teenagers? Uh, yeah, it's a question. I mean, I don't know how old they were. Uh, I, 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 they look like they could smoke. From that they seem oblivious so to they're their young, surroundings, you're anything else. They feel like they're a group of people that have been raised in a very sheltered space where that is acceptable and that's how you convey the message. Whereas I think the disciples, on the other hand, and Peter in particular, they were... <laughs> incredibly brave and aware of their surroundings and the implications of what was happening there. So I think it's, those are the differences. One group is painfully oblivious, whereas the other is, understands the they know what they're implications doing. Implications of what they're doing and what they're saying in the moment. Okay, I appreciate that. Thanks. And someone on Zoom, can they unmute or do you want to speak for them? Uh, I mean, does Danny want to speak? Danny, you wanted us to talk, do you want us to talk for you? Oh, look at this. She says the disciples aren't spewing their lung germs all over a captive audience during a pandemic. That's a valid point. Yeah, so that's another issue too, right? Singing without a mask on in a pandemic on a flight is a little wild, you know? All right. Any more? We'll have more time for talk, but I appreciate this. First of all, you all basically just gave the whole message I was going to give, so I don't know why I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. But... You know, I appreciate, the, I appreciate the feedback and the diversity of it, too. You know, I admit, I'm with Laurel, right? Like, there's, like you kind of liked the vibe. I didn't, right? I had a different kind of reaction to the vibe because um, I thought it was a little corny. Um, I don't love the song. But if they broke out in, like, Tainted Love or something, I'd be very engaged with that, you know? I'd be getting up and moving around, you know? If somebody started singing, I want to dance with somebody on a flight, yeah, we would dance. You know, that's like, that's interesting to me, you know? So that's, I'm not against any in-flight singing, just certain kinds. That's personal, right? That's personal, you know? I'm out here doing Hamilton references all the time. What do you think would happen if someone started singing, uh, wait for it, you know what I mean? I'd be really excited. So I guess aesthetic, to me, matters to a certain extent. But there's something that feels so notably different about singing contemporary Christian music in a nation where, like, you can't even tell the difference between the patriotism and Christian faith because they're so closely linked, you know? Um, and I don't know if this is a Christian nation or not, but we have a lot, because we have a lot of work to do to follow the teachings of the Jesus of Nazareth. But maybe like, a declarative song like this feels unnecessary because the Christian story seems so commonly understood in the United States. Like, what are you preaching exactly? And the words of the song themselves, even if they fit the height of the flight, like there's language in the song about being high in the sky or something like that, they seem to fall flat. You know, I, like, Christianity is so woven into the American ethos, this seems like a, a, a meaningless gesture to me, right? Like, here's what Biden said on Easter, right? They had the egg roll for the first time in two years. He said, once again, Holy Week has taken us on a journey from sorrow to salvation, as we reflect today on Christ's resurrection, we're reminded that with faith, hope, and love, even death can be defeated. That's a pretty nice thing to say, first of all. But you're the president of the United States saying it. So, like, we get it. We understand it. It's that far out. 
So if he's saying it, why are you singing about it? You know what I mean? Like it's so commonplace. It's so commonly understood. It's a nice message. It's hopeful. It's inspiring. I appreciate it, you know. Trump wished a happy Easter to all the leftist losers. So like there's, there's, sometimes there's different ways to approach this, you know. But clearly, showcasing Christian doctrine like this shows us it's not that far removed from the most powerful office in the country, right? Here's the message. And it is a little performative, right? Because you have a message about defeating death. I don't know how the commander of chief of the military can celebrate death being defeated even as he purveys death. But anyway, that's not the point really right now. Although for some of you it is. With Christianity and civic religion, what we'll call it, civic religion, like worshiping the U.S., you know, founding fathers are like our, our uh, the founding fathers are like the early church fathers, the constitution is like the Bible, the national anthem is the hymn, sacred songs, sacred texts, sacred people. When Christianity and civil religion become so connected, it's hardly prophetic or brave to sing worship on a flight. It would be interesting if they started quoting the Quran on the flight, right? That would be radical, right? In a different kind of way. You know what I mean? And that would be a lot. That'd be, that'd be pretty wild. You know, you, you don't know what would happen to you in that moment. But if you start preaching and there's no real threat of persecution, it's a little bit different, you know? Like, where's your, you put your, you got, your skin has to be in the game, you know? So without that prophecy or that bravery, it's obnoxious and inhospitable, possibly. And it doesn't fertilize the soil of evangelism, right? Well, that's what Laurel was saying, right? All things to all people. Figure out your context. Figure out who it's for, why you're doing it. And in their defense, they were young and foolish. They didn't know, you know? So kids do all sorts of wild things, you know? Um, I think that, that we, being sensitive to that. But surely there was a leader somewhere there, you know? Like, who you, who, who's, 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 your, who's your, like, youth pastor? <laughs> like, what's happening? Where is he at, you know? Um, I don't think it fertilizes the soil. Paul wants us to be all things to all people, to adapt to our setting, to win some for the cause. So I wish these people would have adapted to their setting instead of dominating it, right? Because it's not, like, intentions aren't that terrible, in my opinion. But how do you want to work this out? How do you, how do you make this happen? What are you trying to do? They're free to do it. Apparently no one's telling them to stop. But the rebellion falls a little flat. Compared to the genuine resistance of the disciples in Acts chapter 5. Whereas the passengers are in the heart of the empire furthering Christian supremacy. The witnesses in Jerusalem are sacrificing their lives to witness. Whereas Christians today seem to be just furthering their power. There's a difference there. So then the question for us is, how do we act with the same boldness of the disciples without following into the patterns of the worshipers in the flight? Because we want to act boldly. I think it's important to act boldly. I think it's important to use the name of Jesus boldly. How do we do that with effectiveness without falling into this weird thing with the, what the worshipers in the flight did? So I think in part it's about vanity Jesus warns us not to make public spectacles of our worship. Paul advises us to have orderly worship. But when we're faced with the forces of death, it's appropriate to make a public spectacle. 
it's appropriate to disorder the order when we're faced with oppressive forces. That's why Daniel prayed with the curtains open so that he might be thrown into the lion's den. Here I am, I'm not hiding. But when we're in the glut of the Christian supremacist empire, a more humble approach makes sense. You know, you can open your windows and pray out loud because you're not being persecuted. Ain't no problem. Nothing's going to happen to you. You might even get benefits from doing that. You can't even become president in the United States without being a Christian. You know, that's never happened before, right? And, and more than that, a, a, uh, a Protestant Christian, there's only two presidents ever that were Catholics. One of them is currently in office, and the other one got assassinated. So, like, even that, it's very specific. You know, there's never been a Jew as a president, and certainly not a Muslim, right? So, like, that's, you say you're Christian to get power, to get influence. So, our approach has to be more humble. You know, I've told this story before. My, my dad immigrated in the early 80s from Egypt to the United States. He loved that he could pray out loud at Ponderosa, right? And, and he was so happy that he could do it without getting in trouble because it was so hard for him to do it in Egypt. And that felt liberatory to him. You know, it was embarrassing for us, but liberatory to him. For me, I finally learned, oh, you don't like this because it isn't a big deal, right? In the Christian empire, this is commonplace. So we weren't persecuted Christians. We were just in the same Christian majority. So it felt oppressive to me, and it felt liberatory to him. And I, that, there's, a, there's a noteworthy distinction there. Now, he came from genuine persecution, so it's a little bit different. Sometimes Christians in the United States think they're persecuted because, you know, um, their employees don't qualify for, they, 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 they're compelled to provide like a reproductive health in their health insurance whether they're Christians or not. You know what I mean? Like something like that creates oppression, but that's not the persecution we're talking about. Um, so I think as a church, we need to center the marginalized and the oppressed and not necessarily how great we are. Like, what does it look like to be proud of what we're doing? To center marginalized voices and, and elevate them, not to toot our own horn. So we should have a posture of humility and repentance instead of declaring how progressive we are, right? Like, I think it's important that we signal to the community that like Black Lives Matter and that we're LGBT inclusive, but it is better if we say we are sorry for when we weren't. We wish we had done better. We're sorry that it wasn't like this before, right? That, that posture, to me, is what Christians should have in the US. Any arrogant posture just furthers what everybody already thinks about us. You know, we should resist the powers and get into good trouble, trouble that threatens us instead of things that just build us up. So as evangelists, we should adapt to our culture and understand how we can fit into it. But as prophets, we should resist the evil in it. Christian worshipers, these Christian worshipers could have brought a radical message that challenged the passengers instead of confirming their biases around Christians. Like, what would you do? How would you, how, how would you have a presence, you know, Let's say someone did start reading from the Quran. It would be interesting if Christians defended them, right? That would be a way to turn things upside down. You know, that would be a public spectacle worth addressing. They could have resisted evil like the disciples did in Acts because they obey the Lord and not empire. So 
We'll have a little bit more time for Topak if you want to say anything back. We've had plenty so far, but you know, if you want to say something back, let's do it. I'll pray before we keep going, okay? Thank you, Lord, for your presence and your faithfulness. Teach us to have the courage of Peter and the disciples in Acts 5 and teach us how to uh, adapt to our culture in appropriate ways. Amen. So any comments or questions or, or what do you want to say back? Anything, anything more? Any other reactions? You had some initial reactions. You reacted to this difference. Any more you want to say? What feels right? What feels good? Yeah, Donnie. Howdy, how's it going? Glad you're here. Um, I, th- I think this is one of the things that, like, whatever, the Republicans or whoever, conservatives, the playbook, as stupid as it appears to us, uh, their playbook is to take this as persecution, right? Like, clearly, you know, the, the fact that we're showing this right now, you know, they would be like, oh, you know, this is more, and there's so many, especially on TikTok, there's so many examples of these outspoken Christians um, talking about, you know, how they get persecuted for, you know, their beliefs and things like that. And it just is like this snowball effect, I guess, that um, I think distracts maybe, or, you know, it, it energizes them somehow. And, you know, they, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just wild to watch it because it's like, meanwhile, there actually are things like, you know, Florida, you know, banning these books and whatever that, you know, the, the math textbook had too much critical race theory in it or whatever. You know, it's like these things actually, that is cancel culture, right? Like that, and so they've rebranded cancel culture to be anything that, uh, you know, somebody criticizing them and what they've done is cancel culture. And so they can simultaneously say, you all are wrong for participating in cancel culture and canceling me, but also, you know, this glory to Christ because I'm being persecuted by these leftists or whatever, you know? And it's like, they just keep on moving the goalposts. And I mean, it's just like, it's really exhausting to watch. I mean, I, you know, I, I think it's, I like watching the, the reaction to it, the, what the, the comment that you even posted that that guy said, like, I would have opened the exit door. You know, it's like, we, all we can do is just laugh that these people are being absurd. I, I don't, it's hard for me to think about like how to actually engage with them because they clearly don't want to be engaged with, you know, because any, anything that comes at them is going to be persecution. That's all. It is interesting to, to uh, name any criticism as persecution. All right, so your tainted love comment got me thinking about if, if there was any other alternative that I would be comfortable with, right? So again, so I'm a school teacher. As a school teacher, you have a captive audience. Your class is your captive audience. So if they're forced to be in there with you, then if you are doing things that are clearly like irritating them, then you're abusing your power. You know what I mean? Like if they leave, they're gonna get in trouble. And so they have to be there. So you can either try to negotiate and try to make the best of the time together, or you can just 
be inconsiderate and inhospitable, right? And, you know, we've all had tons of professors who don't care about how you're responding or reacting. They're just doing whatever it is they do and whether you like it or not doesn't matter, right? So if you're in the plane situation, that's a truly captive audience because nobody's gonna jump off the plane to avoid listening to your singing. So, and then, you know, somebody like me would be so irritated with the lack of consideration that I would escalate and I would start arguing with them. And then that's where what you were talking about uh, comes in, where now I'm the mean, angry dude, and you know, I must be of the devil because I'm trying to be more considerate of the other passengers on the plane. You know, some people might have come from another flight or had to do a layover or something like that, and they were probably trying to sleep on the plane, and you're not even thinking about that when you're doing this. Now, a time when I would be okay with the singing on the plane uh -huh. is if it were in response to something else that was going on the plane. So if people were being hostile to somebody because they had dreads, mm -hmm. right? Or something like that. And they were a part of a singing group who sang like gospel music or something like that. And, you know, they were just moved to sing a song of resistance that's saying, you know, God has made me holy as I am or whatever, you know what I mean? As a way of artistically responding to a very uh, intense moment, because they would be captive too, you know what I mean? And totally. if people were coming at them on that plane, then they can get hostile and get kicked off the plane, miss their flight and miss wherever they're going to or whatever. But I feel like uh, part of why I would lean more towards obliging it is because number one, if they're responding to the moment, then I would assume that once they finish making their point, then they would chill out. And number two, I would expect them to have a higher level of skill than these cats. Like I feel like anybody can do what they did, whereas you know, there's a lot mm -hmm. of gospel groups where you got three or four cats that's wailing and like they just tear it up. And so you know, there's like a higher level of sophistication, richness, you know what I mean? Gifting that goes in there. I appreciate and that. I've seen people like unleash that in order to speak to complicated situations. So that I would be cool with. Now, if they would have did that for the entire ride, like for the entire plane, like, yo, I would have snapped. Like y'all would have seen me in jail. Like, mm. I, I, yo, cause that's just so, like I'm so considerate that when I'm walking down the street, I'm navigating how I'm gonna move out the way to make sure you can get by. So I'm not gonna be on a plane being, when my kid is crying on the plane, I'm trying to calm him down. You know what I mean? Because yeah, I understand totally. that we're sharing <laughs> space and you know, come on man, like that level of inconsideration to me is not Jesus at all. I'm with you. You know what I mean? By the way, if you ever see a parent, parents with crying kids on a plane, buy them a drink. <laughs> okay, that's gonna really, that's gonna be great for them. Just, just, just pro tip for you. Anyone, anyone else wanna say anything? Yeah, go ahead. What's your name? Oh yeah, sorry Robert. Go ahead. Oh yeah? I'm sure you're as brilliant as Hannah. Oh, my Maybe gosh, smarter. No. What do you think? You think you're smarter than Hannah? Hannah's definitely smarter than I am. <laughs> um, I think I had two thoughts. One of the thoughts was like, if Jesus was on that plane, would he start singing as well? Would they start singing as well? 
And I don't know, I think that's just an interesting question to think about. I, do you have a thought about that? What do you think? My, my thought would be no. And uh, Yeah, I kind of am with you on that one. Yeah. The, the question that comes from that is like, okay, if this is not, like, if this is not an effective way of reaching people about Jesus, then like, what would be? And instead of going down that question, I was more drawn towards like, what is this? Like, what does this spectacle seem to be doing? And it seems to be self-serving. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. Like I grew up at a church in the Midwest where I felt like there was a lot of like praise and worship of Jesus, but that didn't translate to anything beyond that. It was like that was the end instead of like a means to something more radical in the community. Um, yeah, I think self-palliative is kind of like the word that I was, or the two words that I was thinking of, self-serving and self-palliative. Well, that's a big word. It's, you are smart. <laughs> Anyone else want to say anything? <laughs> All right, Luke. You all ready to talk about this TikTok? Yeah, I feel like it's a, it's a good conversation starter for sure. Um, I feel like in this instance, these, these guys were probably just like clueless and oblivious and not really considering the people around them. But I think that's like part of the issue is that they're so accustomed to the world revolving around them that like, um, you know, it's part of it is oblivious, but also it's like an assertion and an invocation of like the hegemony, hegemony that Christians have. And in a lot of spaces that can make people feel less safe and they're not thinking about that kind of thing. What's um, hegemony, Luke? We should have defined self-palliative, too, by the way. Yeah, you asked me to define. <laughs> Can you define both is, of those terms? I don't need, I've never heard the first one in my life. I'm not, I'm not smart. Okay, we're going to get back <laughs> like to you, Robert. Um, hegemony, I guess, would be um, if you are the dominant culture or you hold power in, you know, in situations or spaces, um, you can say that I, I guess one context is sort of like with international relations, you have hegemony if countries listen to you and people follow your actions as, um, it, it sort of embodies both hard power and soft power, um, I guess I would say. That's not a good definition, but that's the best I can do. But I was gonna say also one. that like, um, like Donovan was saying, when people challenge that hegemony, they turn around and say that they're oppressed. And that sort of thing happens with more and more as like our society is beginning to secularize and become more multi-faith, um, they're losing power in society. And I feel like in some respects, them standing up on a plane and, you know, singing annoyingly is like them trying to reassert the hegemony. And this is a really kind of benign example, but there are a lot more, uh, you know, harmful examples. Like you mentioned, Johnny, with the like healthcare um, and like different, you know, secular policies that are being pushed back against, like, in not really the name of Christianity, but more in the name of Christian supremacy. Mm. Thanks, Luke. Anyone else? Anyone on Zoom chiming in? Cool. My guy Donovan's going to come up here and tell us some things that are happening in our community, um, and then we'll end with a prayer. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net. <laughs>